Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. Today, we hold an open town hall with Sergeant Heather Taylor with the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. She is also the president of the Ethical Society of Police, a police union that is demanding accountability in policing right here in Missouri. Sergeant Taylor, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Certainly, it's a a busy time. It's an interesting time. I'm sure it's very busy for you, too. Um, So I guess if you could, could you tell everybody, um, you know, I mentioned that you work for for the police department in St. Louis, but could you tell everybody, uh, you know, what you do, who you are, and, and, and why we're talking about police accountability with you today on the show? I'm Heather Taylor. I'm the current president of the Ethical Society of Police. The Ethical Society of Police was founded by African-American officers within the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department to fight discrimination in the police department and in the community. We have about 300 and I think about 20 members total from St. Louis County, uh, St. Louis City, majority are in St. Louis City, uh, mm-hmm. and we also have St. Louis County, Ferguson, some other um, smaller munis. We also have a member who's in Pittsburgh, oh, wow. uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have we, you know, we're pretty small, uh, but we intended to be that way. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, uh, it's interesting. I mean, w- there's there's another police union in the city, correct? Yes, there is. Why, why, why are, you know, this question always comes up. I'm sure you get it all the time. Why are there two of them? Um, because our, our goals are somewhat different. They're kind of the same, maybe. Uh, yeah, our goals are to fight discrimination, and we're about police accountability. And even if that means that we have to hold one of our own officers accountable as well. Uh, so our, those are the things that we, we deal with systemic racism. Uh, we stand up for our members. We try to stand up for our community and our members. And our, our you know, our goals are a little bit different. We're more um, community based, uh, probably one of the uh, few that are community based within uh, the country. And we're our causes are different. You know, most mm-hmm. of our members are, we're 97% African-American. We were founded because of racial discrimination by African-Americans. So our mission stays the same. Uh, but we do have white members who are very strong. We have Hispanic members who are very strong as well. But there was a need for two police associations because the representation mm-hmm. uh, wasn't all the, always the same for African-American officers. Yeah. Uh, as for um, white officers with the St. Louis Police Officers Association. Yeah, and so you're you are currently with uh, uh, the police department in St. Louis City, right? Yes. What yes, do you I am. What do you do What do you do over there? I'm a detective sergeant uh, in the homicide section. Okay. How How long have you been doing that for? 
Uh, I've been on the police department. 9-11 will be 20 years. I've huh. been in homicide probably about seven years or eight, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you always know you wanted to go into policing? Yeah, I pretty much knew yeah. this is what I wanted to do. I had a cousin who was in law enforcement. Uh, my cousin, uh, Lisa, she was a St. Louis City police officer. I have cousins who are also police officers as well. Uh, she left um, more so right around the time in 1993, my aunt uh, was murdered by a deputy marshal. And I knew uh, <clears throat> justice was three years in prison for him. Uh, mm. That was, uh, So I knew that my um, perspective about law enforcement would be different. You know, I also had a brother who had committed a, a murder and killed someone and his treatment and, you know, how my mother held him accountable for that. I, you know, just had a, a feel for victims of violence and being firsthand witnessing, you know, the, the trauma behind how our aunt was murdered and not receiving the level of justice that she deserved and our family deserved. I knew I wanted to go in law enforcement and, and stand up for victims uh, of violent crime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, right now, uh, I, obviously, we're, we're we're talking about it here on this show, but but accountability within policing, um, you know, it certainly seems like we're we're missing a few things in in America. And you know, given not only your experience uh, working, but also in you know just personally, what are your I mean, what are your 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 thoughts about that? Do you think that we do need change? Do you think that this is something that? Uh, is something we're seeing that's systemic all across the country, or do you think that this is limited to just a few places? It's definitely systemic. Uh-huh. Uh, have you know you can you can change the names, and you have similar uh, incidents happening all around the country uh, in all um, in all areas. So it's definitely a lot of systemic problems that are within law enforcement. And it's just so important that we have accountability in place. And right now, with the murder of George Floyd, we're seeing that justice isn't the same for everyone. And people are tired of it, and pretty much they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, yeah. And you've you've been you've been outspoken on this issue for some time. You know, it's interesting because so I've, I've worked with a lot of law enforcement officers across the state. And uh, a lot of folks, uh, you know, they, I, I'm friends with and they'll, and they'll talk to me about it, but they would not come out like this and, and come on to something and have this discussion publicly because they're afraid of what the repercussions could be. Is that something that, that you're, you're not worried about or is it something that you've dealt with and you're just like, look, this is too important. This is what I'm going to do. It's it's too important. You know, the retaliation, that's something that comes with it. Any officer of any race that stands up, fights uh, discrimination, fights any form of um, uh, lack of accountability in police departments, they're going to face some form of uh, retaliation. It comes with it. Uh, But the topic of what happened to George Floyd, what happened to Anthony Lamar Smith, what happened to... Tamir Rice, you have these people um, who are in this field who need to be held accountable. And and when something is murder, why are we denying that it's murder? Mm -hmm. When it's not murder, it's not murder. Not not every officer involved shooting is murder. However, when they are murdered, it's important for us as 
the law enforcement officials to tell the truth and call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk. So let's talk about what, um, you know, in, in your experience you think would be, would be helpful. What do you think if, if you think of, I don't know, cause you know, oftentimes folks ask the question, what's the one thing that you would do? Is there one thing that you would do, um, that you think would, would change this pretty quickly or, or is this something that is going to take a longer process? Um, and if so, where, where would you start? It's going to take a longer process. I think the things where you would start are the things that are low hanging fruit, you know, things that local jurisdictions can change themselves. Mm hmm. You, you, first off, it's just common sense not to have chokeholds. Eric Garner was mm-hmm. murdered by a chokehold. Uh, and that's just common sense, and that's something on the local level that can be done. In St. Louis City Police Department, we haven't had, we've banned chokeholds 12 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. So we're talking about over a decade. Uh, you have de-escalation training for officers. And you give de-escalation training before people are hired. You give them, you give them these things in in the stages where uh, they're looking to be employed in law enforcement. It's important that you do better background checks on these people that are hired. And once they're inside of the police department, we all know how difficult it is to fire them. And you have a lot of municipality jumping by uh, officers. So things like, hey, open up. These should be public. You know, disciplinary records for for. Uh, public servants should be public. That should be across the board for everyone, uh, whatever position you're in. If you're serving the public, it should be public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other things that can be done, basic, basic things with dealing with uh, your use of force policies. Our use of force policy is pretty cut and dry, uh, I believe, um, in things that need to be done on the front end with hiring, giving implicit bias training before you hire someone. Hey, you want to be a police officer? We need you to go through this five, 10-week course, wherever it may be. We need to evaluate you before you become a police officer long run, because in those five to 10 weeks, you're definitely going to see something uh, that will tell you this person is qualified or absolutely the worst person you could ever hire to be a police officer. And we don't do that. We have to invest on the front end so that we can save lives because every life is important. If we murder someone, uh, that's a life that you can't get, you can't get back a human, human being. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we, we take these precautions and there, these things are just basically low hanging fruit here. The bigger picture is qualified immunity. Mm. Body immunity is something uh, that has to be reevaluated by the Supreme Court. They're the only ones that can change that, and it does allow officers to hide behind uh, murder. And you know, the being a law enforcement officer uh, to to kill someone. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it's uh, so qualified immunity. I know that this is. Uh, being discussed a lot in the public now, um, and I've actually uh, we're hoping to have a guest come on to talk specifically about qualified immunity, uh, different kinds of immunity, and how that impacts civil rights litigation, and therefore liability for the city or municipality that's involved. Um, but for those of you who who do not know, I'm actually very familiar with qualified immunity. When I served as an assistant attorney general, it was something that was used very. Uh, quite a bit by the state. And it essentially allows folks 
um, including in law enforcement, to do something that is unconstitutional as long as it's like the first time that they're doing it. And uh, some case law, it's pretty interesting. It, I mean, it's, it's interesting in, in terms of the argument that you're making here um, is that it could be ex- almost extremely similar, but maybe like a few details have changed and a court will find, oh, well, qualified immunity still applies, like despite the fact that this person, uh, you know, did put on these handcuffs in a certain way, uh, but they did it a, a different kind of way, but the same result, basically the same outcome happened um, that you could still receive qualified immunity for that. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to delve into that a bit too, because a lot of folks are calling for reform and for eliminating qualified immunity um, in a lot of, lot of different applications. So um, yeah, I, you know, you, you, you said something and it, it's come up, we've had a, so I mentioned this before we started, but we had a town hall uh, a few days ago with Roger Goldman, who is a professor at St. Louis University. He's an expert in police licensing. And one of the things that came up actually from the audience that was watching was about uh, uh, police officers in training before they become police officers. So looking at the police academy, looking at requirements in different states, do you think that uh, the current requirements for folks to become a police officer in Missouri. I mean, obviously you said we should, we should have, uh, the implicit bias training beforehand, basically to see who is, you know, has got some issues you might want to deal with, or maybe have to eliminate from the pool. But do you think that the current requirements are enough in Missouri? I think they are enough. Um, when you have, when you hire the right people, mm-hmm. uh, so when you're hiring the right, the wrong people, it's a very difficult position. We have um, one of the officers that's indicted right now, uh, Christopher Myers, who was involved in the uh, beating of an undercover African-American detective. I know that there were attempts to terminate him, before they, attempts to not hire him at all, and in the academy to terminate him because of behaviors. And a lot of times you have people at the, at the top, the chiefs of police, and the, you know, uh, some of your politicians who will push these people through and supersede the rulings and the decisions of people um, who are constantly saying, no, this person isn't qualified. They're not qualified. Mm. And it, it's very difficult uh, uh, sometimes, even when you have these things in place that have eliminated people. But at the same time, they're pushed through by chiefs and commissioners and people that are in high ranking positions that have the ability to overturn paperwork. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know, the standards are, are, are good as they are if you have if you hire the right people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I got to attend um, a CIT training um, not too long ago. Uh, and for those, I've, I've mentioned this a few times before, it's a crisis intervention team training. And it does a lot of, you know, the de-escalation work and, and teaches folks how to deal with different situations they might be encountering, language barriers, uh, mental health, uh, but also appreciating that within themselves. And, and uh, that was, it was in Jefferson County. Uh, it was over at Jefferson College, actually. And uh, I got to hang out for, for a while with them. Uh, is is that kind of training also happening uh, with the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department? Yes, it is. Yeah, you, training yeah. is is standard training that everyone's given in the police academy. They're given mm-hmm. that. Uh, the issue is that you know no matter what you give someone, if you've hired the wrong person, 
there is there is very little um, training that's going to matter matter to them. Mm-hmm. So if you hire someone that's just simply a jerk, <laughs> no matter who it is, and you give them a, a gun and a badge, guess what? Guess what you're going to have? You're going to mm-hmm. have a jerk with a gun and a badge. Mm-hmm. Uh, powers of arrest, and it's it's about those background checks and that front end, like that low hanging fruit for your um, your aldermen, your presidents, a board of aldermen. In, who introduced bills, it, that's their opportunity. Hey, talk to officers and we can give you um, the low-hanging fruit that could make a significant impact um, and, and more than likely will save lives. Not even more than likely, that will save lives. Mm-hmm. Eliminate people on the front end. Do you, um, so, so looking at, at the, the front end of everything, um, do you think that and what's the issue? Do you think that there's not enough people applying to be police officers, or do you think that there are folks who who should be who aren't getting in because there's some kind of favoritism or something else going on? Oh, absolutely. There are people who are. Um, the one thing that most people don't recognize is that we have a lot of African Americans who apply to be police officers that live in the city of St. Louis. That's not a problem. The problem is that they're not selected. They are not selected for whatever reason, and sometimes those reasons are absolute bias. Uh, we have a pre-academy um, program where we are with people eight to ten weeks before um, checking um, their, you know, checking on them to see if you know do they have uh, problems with uh, report writing? Can they can they hack it when they get get out there and? Through those eight weeks, we give them implicit bias training, we give them cultural diversity, we have them doing the community service project. So we get to know these people who come through our program, and it's twice a week for eight weeks. It was 10, and now it's eight weeks, twice a week, for three hours a day. And there is nothing like it in, in the country. And we get to see people that we're like, oh, okay, well, this person had a had a traffic ticket. Oh, they had uh, maybe uh, stolen license tabs when they were 18, 19, and they haven't had anything on their record for uh, 10, 15 years. So we get to see people like that, that make mistakes like most people do when they're young. Uh, we, we make mistakes and see them, and then you know, sometimes they're not selected. There is no problem with getting candidates to people who want to be police officers. It's the the process uh, after they've completed their application. Interesting, you know, because I know I know some of the folks in the legislature um, and in our current attorney general too, um, and I think the mayor, the mayor of St. Louis, have been talking about the residency requirement in St. Louis City as being you know a barrier to having folks applying. Um, so I guess in your, your experience, you're not seeing that as, as being, uh, an issue to get applicants for, uh, for policing? Residency? Yeah, I think, you know, our stance is this, and this is my stance. I'm a lifelong city resident. However, I believe you should live wherever you want to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, if you're, if you're paying taxes and you're working, you should live wherever you want to live. However, um, with us, like we said before, like I said before, is that, a good majority of African-Americans uh, candidates live in the city mm. that apply to be police officers. So sometimes they use that uh, as uh, the uh, um, as a as a means to do away 
with the residency, we're not for a uh, residency requirement. You should live wherever you want to. Um, I understand people want people from those communities, but guess what? People from those very communities are applying to be police officers, and we're not hiring them. Hmm. You cannot tell us that when we have over 200 applicants that are African American, you're saying that uh, the good majority of them are not qualified. We call we call that BS. We call it what it is, yeah. and we know that um, a good number of them are qualified because some of them have come through our pre academy, mm-hmm. and we've met for eight to ten weeks and we see their character we see how they behave because we've been with them six hours a week unlike um, someone that's doing a background check and interviews them for 45 minutes to an hour yeah yeah huh yeah that's um it's interesting I, I know that conversation comes up every once in a while but it's 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 good to get that perspective too um I mean, do you, do you think, so, so I, do you think that, that this, you know, pre, I guess this implicit bias training, um, or whatever the program would be before hiring, do you think that that would address a lot of the issues that we're seeing with folks who probably shouldn't be police actually getting in there? I think you would see people being who they are mm-hmm. and would see people at the forefront, um, at the very beginning and you would see them being who they are. Um, it's uh, difficult a lot of times for people to hide who they are, especially to everyone in our pre-academy. They're trained instructors. They're former instructors. We're licensed to teach in the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a lot of community outreach. We mm-hmm. interact with a lot of people. So we see people quite often. And we have, we have said to our police department, this is probably someone you shouldn't hire because of this, that. Uh, this is what we saw, and they have demonstrated the inability um, uh, to be fair. And even in mock scenarios, in role playing, and a lot of times with the role playing and the mock scenarios, the true behaviors come out. Mm. And it's important to have these uh, classes beforehand. And uh, we're we're just law enforcement officers. How about you know? I couldn't imagine how much better it would be if we actually had someone that's actually trained year round. This is their sole occupation. This is all they do. Uh, that cut that cut that came into our program to give this course um, over the course of a couple of weeks uh, to our uh, candidates. We probably would be able to um, uh, see a lot of a lot more behaviors um, and catch them at the beginning rather having them on our police department when they've um, become someone's worst nightmare. Right, right, right. You know, I, I, so we got a question in from uh, a, a state legislator who wanted to know, um, and she's been looking a lot at the county and, and some of the issues there, um, but she wanted to know, you know, anything that you are, I guess, are, are you more familiar with the training that's done in the city or, or are you, do you know, like, are there differences between the training that we have in different municipalities? I think that the training in the city and the county probably mirrors each other. Um, uh, some, some courses that are given by St. Louis County, we can take and vice versa. They can come here as long as it's a post-certified course, they receive credit for it. Uh, so there are uh, interchangeable courses, definitely. And we're both mandated to have a certain number of hours uh, to be police officers to receive our certification. Um, but the way police departments are run is, is different across the board. Muni to muni, um, it's just, it's very different. Yeah. Do, do you think that there's anything, I guess, 
you know, I, I, within the, the training in the city or the county, um, but also in other places, do you think that there's anything that needs to be emphasized more or added to the curriculum? Do you think that there's anything that needs to be changed there at all? You have to focus more on de-escalation. It has to be just ingrained, ingrained. I think we do a decent job here, but you can never have um, um, too little de-escalation training, or you can never have too little cultural diversity training. Uh, And it's important that we have that on, like I said, in the pre-academy and in the academy. It has to be throughout and Not everywhere, not every police department has these courses. A lot of our courses are geared towards shooting, running, um, driving, uh, those types of things. You know, um, the people part of it it has to become more important, Uh, the interactions and not just doing a class project. But, hey, every week you need to go out. We need to have our our, um, recruits understand that you need to go out and interact with um, your community because this is who you're going to protect and serve. And you need to understand where they're coming from um, as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What about like, you know, it's, it's interesting having, obviously I haven't gone through the police academy, but just sitting there through what I have seen, the, the de-escalation work, um, you know, it seems to also hinge a lot on uh, your own mental health as like an officer, right? And, and realizing the stress that you are under when you're in a very stressful situation, how you're going to respond to that. Um, have you seen changes over time and how folks are responding to those situations and, and in like the training or the services that folks are able to access as officers to mental health services or psychological services while they're on the job? I think um, the the resources for officer mental health, they're subpar. They're actually pretty awful. Uh, the number one cause of death for most officers um, is suicide. Mm. It's, and we're not, uh, it's not being shot in the line of duty and dying that way. Um, it's suicide. And that's something that's like this dirty secret. And we don't talk about mental health is the, the value of having someone that's mentally um, sound uh, in this job. Uh, in my career, I'm going into step 9-11 will be 20 years. I've mm-hmm. had one psychological evaluation wow. and that at the time of hiring. And, you know, if, if officers don't seek it outside, uh, most times no one is forcing them to do it. But we do have policies and procedures in place where you can do mandatory um, screening on officers for their, their fit for duty, their mental wellness. And I've done that Uh, quite a few times in my career with officers, but it's something you have to have a proactive supervisor who's pushing that. Mm. Uh, It's not something that's considered cool to do. Um, It's kind of, uh, for some, they consider it your, your, um, that, that wall of silence, that blue code of silence, you know, you know, you let them work through it. Well, you can't let them work through it because they're working in the community. So, you know, it's, it's just too dangerous to do it. So. Right, right. Yeah, working through it with us is probably not, yeah. you know, you've got, got some other places to do that. It's a little bit safer. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, this is opening a lot, but I do want to get to some of the questions that we did get. Um, and if you do have any while you're there, go ahead and you can, if you're watching on their website, go ahead and text those to me or put them in the comments. But we do have a few more here. This, these are from uh, Andy Banker, who's with Fox 2. Um, he wants to know about specific reforms around better police 
accountability. And, you know, I think we've, we've talked certainly about like selecting officers um, and that piece of it. Now we get to the position where we've got a case like George Floyd and we've got officers who, um, especially nowadays, we've got so much camera video stuff. But even in situations where you don't, um, what 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 changes do you think we need or where do you think the weaknesses are in the accountability accountability measures after something like that happens? So some of the weaknesses that are in place is that, you know, uh, why should it have to take a sunshine request to get, if you're lucky, you might get some information. Mm-hmm. Um, why does it have to take a sunshine request to get information on an officer who has been disciplined or is under um, investigation that should be open? Uh, we took we took an oath to protect and serve. I think uh, the, the low-hanging fruit, like I said before, the things about um, making sure that records are open. You know, we're not we're not talking about um, um, pin. You know, complaints that are um, not sustained. Um, sometimes you can be accused of doing something as an officer, and it could be completely false. Um, but also, but with the complaints that are sustained against you, and if there's a pattern of behavior. Um, the early warning signs and actually taking them serious. So if you have an officer that has 10 use of force complaints, that's the problem. How did he get them? He or she, because it could be a she, how did they get to 10? How did they get to three without you, you know, sounding um, the alarm? There has to be early warning um, software that actually does that, that we actually track and we sit down and uh, deal with these officers who are a problem. Um, how many how many times does an officer have to receive a complaint before you act? Um, it, it, it's it's pretty scary, and, and I think that was an example with George Floyd when he was murdered. The officer that murdered him, or both of them, um, the two two partners that is, they had multiple complaints. Um, the things that you do for, as far as accountability is that hey, you have a chief of police. And that chief of police, who is the boss of everyone, if they aren't holding officers accountable, they have to go. You know, they have to be fired. They have to be terminated. Um, And you do internally. You have um, policies and procedures for a reason. And you must have police departments adhering to those policies and procedures. They came about because, guess what? An officer did something stupid and they're... There's the policy. The policy came to um, came into effect because of that. So, you know, as far as doing better with accountability, uh, I think it's important to have a database um, on discipline, sustained discipline. It's also important to have um, an end to municipality jumping or muni jumping is what we say, we say, and that they seek to terminate the post-certification licenses of officers who have been charged with a crime, who are being terminated from one police department under charges, that you have to have something in place there um, that doesn't allow it. Um, and it has to be mandatory that departments um, send in um, requests to uh, take away the certification of um, officers. But also, post has to be properly staffed. Um, from my, um, what I've learned is that they're not even properly staffed to investigate um, these mm-hmm. officers. So, you know. Yeah. And that's such a problem in so many parts of our state where, you know, the accountability pieces might be there, um, at least under the law. But then if we're not actually, we don't have the investigators or no one's willing to enforce it, whatever it might be, then what's the, you know, what's the, really the point? Um, 
So you're seeing you're seeing some of those issues with with post, and they're the ones who do all the certification for officers in the state. Yep, decertifying them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you so so you know just in terms of the accountability part, and I know this question comes up a bit too, um, and now I'll get back to Andy's questions, but uh, for prosecution. You know, a lot of folks are looking and, you know, we've even seen in, in Minneapolis uh, where the, the initial prosecutor is not the prosecutor anymore. Now it's on the attorney general's office. Um, and, you know, some folks have proposed we need independent prosecutions because prosecutors offices work so much with police departments that it would uh, at least seem to be a conflict of interest to have a prosecutor than going after police officers within that same uh, municipality. Do you think that that those kinds of prosecute that there should be reform there, that it should move to an independent body, whether that's the attorney general or somebody else, maybe a different county? Um, or do you think that there's ways to do that within or, or is that not really an issue? Well, it's a tough question because you have an attorney general right now that is uh, very good friends with Jeff Lord and the St. Louis Police Association. You also have a, a circuit attorney who's not very good friends with that, you know, Jeff Lord and Police Association. Yeah. So you have the you have your pros and cons. There really can't be um, it'll be difficult to find a solution that's going to cover everything. You're not going to. Because you could move the case to Jefferson County, you can move it to St. Charles County. But in law enforcement, we all, for the most part, we interconnect at some point. We do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, having an, an, an outside um, entity investigate these cases and prosecute them, it's going to be difficult because I have friends that are in multiple jurisdictions. If I murdered someone and I had to be held accountable like I should, if I did, uh, you, I would have friends, some of everywhere, where would they go, you know, to, to really bring justice, uh, to, to someone. So it's, it's very difficult. You could have an AG that is, um, not in bed with a, a police association. You can have one that, that, that is, and, you know, who is it going to be fair for? You're still going to have a process. And when it all comes down to it, it's about who you're hiring. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on hiring better people and doing better uh, background checks and, and getting to know them before we give them a gun and a badge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, it's a really interesting point because so much of it is interconnected. You know, I really wonder. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's all going to come back to who we're voting for and who we're selecting for those offices. And, you know, you kind of have to, that's the political check, I guess, on this whole process to see, you know, are those folks doing the right thing? And is that the way to do it? Um, but like civilian oversight boards, you know, I know, I know that's, you know, whether they have the, the amount of power they need. Are, are you in support of those kinds of measures? Do you think that those are helpful? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were in, at one point, maybe last year, the year before, there were like 187 cases that came to the COB and they only sustained like one or two of them. Mm-hmm. And the police department um, sustained a huge majority of the cases that they had and it's, it's like, yeah, if the COB is allowed to do their job, if there's no interference from director of public safety, there have to be an outside entity 
it, it must be an outside entity because we need them to be the backup to um, the police department when the police department fails um, our community. And sometimes they fail officers internally as well. Hmm. So it's it's important that the COB, um, you know, have that. They do have it now, I guess, the subpoena power, but they have to be completely um, independent in a different building um, with um, a little interconnection um, with um, public officials and, and people who can um, voice their opinions about what they should do with cases. And not saying that the COB, there are a lot of good people that, that are on it. Um, but it really has to be truly independent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Andy's, so Andy's uh, second question is about uh, the calls that, that so many folks have heard now uh, for defunding or abolishing police. Um, so his question is, to what extent do you support that, if at all, and how would that make things better in light of nationwide violence that has followed on the heels of demonstrations? Um, so do you, I mean, do you have, I mean, obviously you're a police officer, you've been serving for a while. Um, what are your thoughts? Cause I know so many people, it's been interesting. I've been talking to a lot of folks about it, but there's like th- three or four different definitions for what defunding means. Um, and people are using it interchangeably, sometimes with abolishing, sometimes with reducing budgets and reallocating them. Um, so, I mean, I guess in general, what are your, your thoughts about both approaches? I think that our, uh, approach is that, we have to have more information, uh, mm-hmm. explain what this is, what, what are we doing? I can say that we are not for abolishing the police um, when mm-hmm. you've had uh, an aunt murdered or a loved one murdered or uh, been a victim of a sexual assault. You want someone that is going to come in and write a report and hold someone accountable. You want justice. Um, there are some things with our budget that are, our budget is pretty ridiculous. It, it, we, we can all agree to that. It is um, the good majority of the budget. Um, should we start reallocating resources to uh, things that are going to be like cure violence, mm-hmm. you know, uh, crisis intervention, things like that, and rehabilitating people? Uh, yeah, on the front end, uh, adding social workers yeah, to, to handle things that are not police matters, um, doing away with the need for officers to respond on police accidents. Uh, there are a lot of things that we can do that are um, important for us to, to consider with um, reallocating the resources that are coming into the police department to somewhere else, which will ultimately have an effect on reducing crime. The end game is that if we're going to reallocate reallocate resources, it should be focused on ending violent crime because violent crime is what is most um, plaguing um, our city. And some of the things that um, are necessary are conflict resolution centers. Uh, That Mm -hmm. is something that most people are unaware of is the conflict. We have a conflict resolution center in the city of St. Louis. They intervene when landlords and tenants can't get along, when tenants can't get along, when it's a barking dog, uh, whether um, a parking space, these are civilians. These are not police officers. This is not law enforcement talking and mediating. We need that. That's a service that should be everywhere. And if we're talking about reallocating resources from the St. Louis City um, police budget for that, yeah, if that's going to lower crime, then that means that we won't have two, two tenants fighting over a parking space that leads to a murder. Mm. 
absolutely we need uh, we need that and that is lowering crime and that is public safety in my opinion mm-hmm. uh, for what it's worth mm-hmm. yeah it seems like you know and so i've been teaching in st louis for 13 years primarily in the hyde park neighborhood and uh you know it, it seems like whenever you look at nonprofits. There's always there's this term called mission creep where, you know, you started off doing one thing, you knew what the objectives were, what you wanted to accomplish. But over time, as you start to take on more and more services and do more and more things, you start to forget where you came from. And, you know, this happens in our personal life quite a bit, too. But I think, you know, it's just it's just so nice to hear how grounded you are um, in, in in like the whole the whole point is to reduce violence and to reduce crime. And whatever that means, like, let's do it versus saying, you know, we have to really protect our turf in this way, um, but really being open minded to what that looks like. So um, it -hmm. certainly seems like that's important. Yeah, I I think, you know, I I, I very much agree with you on on so much of that. And I certainly wouldn't have expected uh, the president of a police union to come on and tell me that uh, they want to abolish police. So (laughs) I didn't think so. But we don't we don't want to abolish police. We don't. Uh, Right. There is a. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I mean, you know, uh, I've had change, change it. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, it it seems like, you know, there's there's an important role. And I think you're exactly right, because there are folks who who do bad things and we we do need to be protected. Then the question is, um, you know, now you look at any kind of government service and it's taxpayer money. And how are we best using that to serve the people? So. So now, you know, I could respond to a homicide, but if I can prevent one, that's, I mean, way better for everybody involved, obviously. So, you know, if, if there's ways to do that more effectively and to reduce violent crime, we had a guest who was on Thomas Apt um, earlier, and he was on one of these too. So if you're watching, go back and check him out too. But we talked about different strategies and he's worked on violent crime prevention in different states. But What's that? at my door so my front door so oh do you oh no yeah that's okay that's all right you got a little howl every once in a while let them know so that's okay no problem sometimes my dog gets in these too so that's always fun you know we do have i should let you know while we're in the middle of a very serious topic that uh we do have a a uh day uh called furry friend friday for the campaign and you should certainly submit your furry friend for furry friend friday (laughs) so just pitching that to you. What's your What's your dog's name? Uh, I have to take this. Take this. Okay. Oh yeah, go to it. Oh yeah, go take it. Okay, I'll take over right. a little bit. You'll come back. Yeah, don't worry. I'll pick. I'll get her to do it. We'll get We'll get furry friend Friday out here, and I'll mute her just in case. But um, yeah, these are. I mean, I think so far in what we've talked about, a lot of these uh, accountability issues are extremely important. Obviously, um, and it's just it's great to hear from somebody who uh, is working in policing on these issues, um, talk about them and talk about them very frankly. So, um, when, when, uh, uh, Sergeant Taylor mentioned sunshine requests, I just wanted to come back since I, I can actually talk about that without her being here right now. But the, the sunshine law in Missouri is one that allows the public to access public records. And it's one that for folks who've been following me or this campaign, um, it's been, uh, something that I've been fighting to support quite a bit. And there've been a lot of efforts to eliminate or to significantly reduce the impact of the sunshine law 
can have. Um, I just got to teach a class about it uh, earlier this week, um, and I won a case actually against the governor and our current attorney general um, just a couple of weeks ago to protect especially our access to electronic records, and so many government records now um, are electronic. So um, that was a very big, really a landmark win um, for the Sunshine Law in Missouri. But it's very important for government entities, including law enforcement, to ensure that uh, the public has access to these records. And some of them are closed off, some of them aren't, um, but it's the, the, most, the biggest barrier to us getting access to those records oftentimes are those who are in charge of the records and, and folks who are putting up those barriers or charging a whole lot of money for them. Um, and so it's very important, I think, one, for us to fight in those instances to make sure that the public can hold our government services and folks in our government accountable, just like uh, the sergeant was saying. Uh, but it's also um, something that we probably need some significant reform on legislatively, too, because without transparency, like I always say, you can't have much accountability. So, um, yeah, I think that's important. So I think we've got the sergeant back. Let me make sure. Back on. Back with us? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you needed to go and get up for it, and I was pitching you on this whole thing. Yeah. So. yeah. My apologies. I, I, I expect the delivery to happen right now, but I, <laughs> hey. We almost made it through the whole thing, yeah. We almost did it. Yeah, but I'm telling you, you got to submit You got to submit your, uh, your, your hound dog for Furry Friend Friday, so everybody's <laughs> expecting it now. So, um, Okay, so I, I talked a bit about the Sunshine Law to let everybody know, but I'm going to get to um, Andy's questions at the end. So he had a third question. Just make sure we get to that one, too. Uh, mayors across the country, including in St. Louis, enacted curfews in the wake of uh, the, the vandalism, arson, looting, um, and uh, some of the activities that may force businesses to close for good, uh, including uh, violence. And he, he mentions uh, Captain, Captain Dorn in here as well. Uh, in the first few days after George Floyd's death, uh, mayors and police from New York City to St. Louis quickly came under fire for not doing their jobs, uh, according to Governor Cuomo. I guess this is from New York, too, to protect the public. Uh, so everyone seems to support the right to protest. How do you do that while protecting people from uh, violent criminals who are exploiting unrest at times like D- these? And then a follow-up, can it be done Can it be done without police? And I think we probably answered that last question there. But what do you, what do you think about that? I mean... You know, there's. I've been involved in protests, um, and unabashedly so. I think it's extremely important for us to have accountability in these systems, and I think it's very important for us to work on these uh, issues around justice and for us to elevate voices that, unfortunately, far too often are not being heard in our government. Um, you know, I, I don't support uh, uh, folks who are uh, committing violent crime as a result of that. But, but what are you, your thoughts? I mean, seeing protests and seeing some of the results um, that other folks are, are hijacking really these things to do uh, some pretty awful stuff. Um, what, what are your, your, your thoughts about protecting um, those rights uh, to protest? Most definitely, we have to understand why we're here. Uh, we're here because of what happened, um, a tragic uh, murder of George Floyd. And we had people who um, were out there who were actually nonviolent. And when the nonviolent um, protesters left, we had the violent protesters that came in. I guess they weren't protesters, or they could have been, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they came in, and they shot at police officers. They shot at civilians. Uh, they uh, murdered Captain Dorn. Um, and 
and rest in peace, Captain Dorn. I knew him. Um, I know his wife. And to have to hug her today and, and not want to let go because of her pain um, is something that no one should, should have to experience. And, and that's the same for George Floyd's family. No one should have to experience what happened to George Floyd or what happened to Captain Dorn. Uh, everyone has a right to to uh, assemble and to protest. And you can call, people can call them peaceful or not peaceful uh, when you're getting your point across uh, to um, a police department that has been systemically, um, it's been systemic racism with how we police. Let's not forget that 95% of the people stopped in the state of Missouri are mm-hmm. African-American. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty alarming. We're 95 percent more likely to be stopped than right. uh, white citizens. But in the middle of that, you have to find some form of balance in that. As difficult as it is, we cannot um, have officers murdering citizens, and we cannot have citizens murdering officers. You can't. You cannot win with violence. Violence isn't going to get you anywhere. Anywhere. And what happened to Captain Dorn was uh, horrific. And what happened to George Floyd was horrific. And we have to um, allow people to voice their opinions and to be able to do that, because that is your first, that's your constitutional right to do that. And what isn't anyone's constitutional right is to take someone's life and murder them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to find a balance in there. And it's pretty ironic that in 2017, we had less of this. And um, some of the people who were the organizers, um, critical Bruce Franks, who was missing um, from the beginning of some of this, who was well-respected in the community and in the uh, activist community and by uh, police officers as well. Um, it just, uh, it, it, was, um, it was pretty horrible um, that night, probably one of the worst that I've seen in my entire um, almost 20-year career. But at the same time, I understand the need to go out in the streets to to be a nonviolent protester. Um, I don't understand the violence and people who went out and decided that that wasn't their message. They were going to be violent towards whomever, towards business owners, towards um, people. Now, property or or lives. We're talking about people who actually shot at people and killed Mm -hmm. an innocent man. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I very much agree. And I think, uh, you know, so representative, uh, Rasheen Aldridge has taken over a lot of, uh, you know, the role, I guess that Bruce had before. Um, and Bruce, uh, is a good friend. Uh, so is Rasheen. And, you know, I think, yeah, I think he's, he's done a good job. I think one of the big problems is, you know, the longer that we wait to deal with these issues, the worse and worse it gets. And I think we're asking, you know, it was something that, that you mentioned before, um, about uh, police being asked to deal with all of these non-police matters. And there's a video that's going around from, I think he used to be the chief of police in Dallas, but that's going around um, with him saying, yes, it would be great if, if other folks were doing this. And I remember sitting with uh, uh, several uh, folks from Jefferson County who were just talking about all of the responses that they had to make to folks dealing with substance abuse issues where they're not, you know, it's like, what can we can't, there's not much that we can do. I mean, we can respond and make sure, you know, no one's getting hurt, but uh, we can't fix that problem. And, you know, I I think we see it in so many public services, whether that's policing or teaching or or so many others, we're asking folks to do so much more to really address so many of these root causes, poverty, really, 
Um, whereas, you know, you got, you got in the force to, 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 to be a police officer. And we, we, we it just seems like we're, we're, we've just said, oh, well, you know, we're familiar with what a police officer is. We're familiar with police. We're familiar with let's put more money into policing, uh, instead of imagining, you know, and we don't even have to imagine we've seen, like we've got studies now that show what works and, and just saying, Hey, instead of, you know, doing this whole political fear mongering thing, let's sit down and actually have a conversation about what would serve the people of this country the best. And, you know, I just, it's so frustrating for me to see like, you know, the, the longer this goes, the worse it gets and people just kind of sitting there and then jumping in right, right. As something terrible happens. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Oh, well, you know, well, I'm up in arms about this, that, or the other, uh, but they haven't shown up before. Yeah. And, uh, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully more showing up. So if you're out there and you make policy and you're doing something, please, please do. And don't just wait for, for this. So, uh, well, I really thank you for, for coming on. Um, oh, I do want to say, so Sam, it looks like Sam Ford had a question about Justine. Uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Demond, um, who, I don't know if you're familiar. I believe that this was a, a, a lady in, uh, Minneapolis who, uh, lost her life in a, uh, police encounter. Um, and the police officer was, um, my understanding is he was held accountable. I think he was tried and, and, and convicted. Uh, do, do you, are you familiar with this case at all? Yes, he, he murdered her. He should have yeah. been It was murder. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, I mean, he, what, he was convicted, correct? Yes. He was. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've heard, I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was Minneapolis too. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there certainly are instances where, where there is accountability. We just need a lot more of it. Like we know how to do it. Let's just do it. Um, uh, at least in my view. So, uh, well, I, I really thank you for, for coming on. This was, I hope super informative for everybody. Um, I know we had we had questions coming in, text and email and everything else, um, and folks who are very interested in having you. So I, I do want to give you an opportunity. Uh, you know, is there anything uh, that you'd like to to leave us with? Any any parting words of wisdom or anything that we should be looking out for from your perspective? I think uh, when it's all said and done, when people were done taking a knee, because Colin Kaepernick took a knee years ago, and very few people that are now out there stand um, now out there taking a knee. And some of our legislators wearing kinty cloths and and uh, scarves and things of that nature to show that you're with um, Black Lives Matter. Um, hopefully, you'll con- they'll continue looking and, and holding people accountable and seeking legislation that's important to that will save lives because it's important for people to understand that Black lives do matter. You know, I'm I'm first and foremost. I'm African American. I'm black. And I'm proud of that. Um, But at the end of the day, I'm still a police officer. And it's important um, for me to do my job, of course, always. Uh, I took an oath to do that. However, it's important for people to recognize that uh, black lives matter. Yeah, all lives matter. However, black lives need to matter as well in that statement. And we know that they don't. And what happened to George Floyd Uh, what happened to Captain Dorn and what happened to Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery, all these different cases over and over. At some point, this has to end. And uh, it ends with uh, legislation and holding officers accountable for their decisions and holding people accountable who are in positions to make change that allow systemic racism to to flourish instead of um, uh, knocking it out. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. Thank you. 
Uh, and thank, thank you. Thank you for your service to the state. Um, how much longer are you going to be policing? Um, not much. Not, not much. much. <laughs> I have a sick mother right now. That's oh, a yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, family's important. Um, I wish you the best with all of that. Um, I was going to say, because I need to recruit you to run for office at some point. So, uh, oh, you tell yeah. <laughs> well, you tell me when you're ready. I'll come get you. Don't worry. Uh, anyway, Sergeant Taylor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your service to the state of Missouri. Um, and, and thanks for sharing your thoughts with all of us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Alad Pod. You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at live. You can reach me there, too, and I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Alad Gross. And I'll see you on the next Alad Pod.